Welcome to Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. That's your Instagram live slash podcast slash YouTube thing where we talk about kink and sober life and we just see where we go. Today we are actually going to uh, Tennessee. Hello. Hello, hello. How are we? Good, how are you? Very, very good. It's quite, well, it's not late, late here, but it's, it's seven in the evening here. So, and you're in early afternoon. Just after one o'clock. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, let's just jump into it and then we'll see where the conversation goes. Absolutely. What do you prefer I call you? Name, pronouns, and uh, titles. Yeah. Um, so my name is Jim uh, and pronouns are he, him. Uh, title, boy, Jimmy. Uh, and yeah, those are the basics. Fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am uh, in my day life. I am a musician and a music educator here in uh, Tennessee, uh, in the southern United States. And I've been doing that uh, for a long time. I've been doing uh, teaching music for 12 years and been performing music uh, pretty much my entire life. Um, I've lived here in Memphis, Tennessee for nearly 20 years. It'll be 20 years this August when I came out here for college. Um, I am an athlete, so I'm a cyclist, I'm a swimmer, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm doing the CrossFit Open for those uh, who know what that is. Uh, I'm a cat dad. We are actually joined by the cat. Yay. So she, she might, uh, Bella might make an appearance. Uh, so that's my... Uh, that's a little bit about my, my daily life. Uh, in terms of the leather and kink community, it's fairly small here in Memphis, but I've got a few friends. I uh, actually had uh, coffee yesterday uh, with a great guy named Mark, who is uh, competing for IML this Fantastic. May. Um, and I'm grateful to be friends with other leather folk uh, across the country. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, completely sober, clear-headed, or social drinker? I am 100% sober from all alcohol for two years and, uh, well, it'll be two years and four months in March. Fantastic. Well done you. Thank you. That's amazing. Uh, and the last question, what is clear, uh, clear play to you and why is it important? Yeah. So I think clear play to me first and foremost is, um, establishing clear communications and expectations from the jump, um, for me. Personally, um, I would prefer that no alcohol or drugs be in the scene just because I know that that's um, a bit of a trigger for me. And I would rather be playing with someone who is also in that moment clear headed and clear bodied. Um, but I would say it's uh, establishing clear expectations, whether it's safe words or red light, yellow light, green light, uh, whether it's what uh, we're curious to get into, what we really want to get into, what is soft limits and hard limits um, and establishing all those things uh, before a scene and uh, enjoying those things during a scene and just being open and flexible to whatever may come our, our way. Yeah. So um, you say you're two and a bit years um, sober from alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, what brought you to that point where it's like, you know what, I need to stop drinking. This is not good for me. Sure. So I remember over the years, I would do things like dry Januaries. So, you know, 30 days sober, 
We've um, all, all been there. <laughs> yeah, right. Super curious, right? So um, I, I would do that just about every year from the, I wouldn't start on January 1. Uh, I would start. No, no. <laughs> I would you, 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 you have I, New Year's and then you have New Year's. New Year's. How can you start at 12 o'clock? Of course work. not. And no. then she, she's a spiritual leather boy. So we would start after Epiphany on January 6th, yeah. <laughs> go through 12th night, um, all those things. Um, but nonetheless, I would do the 30 days. I'd have my hangover uh, and I'd have my withdrawal symptoms for the first week or so. And then somewhere around day 15, halfway through all my dry Januaries, I began to think, I kind of really like this. And I wonder if I should maybe make this a more regular or even permanent practice in my life. Yeah. Um, but then the 30 days would pass and then I would immediately jump into, well, um, maybe I can manage it. Maybe I can have like two drinks a week or maybe I can have four drinks a week. And the problem is I, I knew that I could never have only one drink in any social setting or even here alone at the house. I, I knew I couldn't. Um, so I, I would say that my first answer to that question is just being aware of some of those patterns. Uh, the second answer to your question is I come from an alcoholic family. My father was an alcoholic. He was a war veteran with untreated PTSD and alcohol was his primary coping mechanism. His father, my grandfather was also an alcoholic, at least from the stories that I told. He died when I was three, but the family stories around his alcohol use were quite, um, Quite vivid. <laughs> so um, recognizing that there was a um, just a family pattern uh, and a chance to break that family pattern. Mm. And then I would say uh, two more answers to your question. Number number three is uh, here in the States, uh, our CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, they have research that says that we gay men are, are twice as likely compared to the overall population to develop a dependency upon alcohol. So there was a chance for me to explore and express my queerness in a way that wasn't through alcohol. And then finally, um, if your question is looking for like, what was my rock bottom? Um, I yeah. would say it was um, in fall of 2020, you know, in the middle of the COVID pandemic before vaccines were widely available. Yeah. And um, we had our tumultuous election, national presidential election here. Um, and I actually, that fall had done 60 days sober. It was like really me getting very serious about examining my relationship with alcohol, how much money I was spending on it and realizing this might be something that I, I need to do, but I had to do one last, well, maybe I could have alcohol for really, really special occasions. And the really, really special occasion that I decided to have alcohol for one last time was when Donald Trump did not win the presidency in 2020 and that uh, Joe Biden was named the president elect. And so on that day, it was November 6th, I believe it was, um, uh, either 6th or 7th, I, um, I definitely told myself, I'm going to have two drinks to, to celebrate. Two drinks turned very quickly into six drinks, at least. Uh, and they were definitely not standard sized drinks. They were over pours. Uh, so who knows how much I drank? I just know that somewhere around one or two in the morning, um, I... I, I, I stopped and uh, drinking uh, and then a day or two later, well, the next day I woke up with a massive hangover. And then later that day, um, the person who I was drinking with called me to say that they had COVID. So in addition to breaking my sobriety uh, of 60 plus days um, and going way overboard, I exposed myself to COVID uh, in the middle of a tumultuous presidential election uh, when there were no vaccines, um, woke up feeling horrible 
And I just told myself on November the 8th, I cannot keep doing this anymore. This is not um, a thing that I can do. Um, this is not sustainable. And so I put the bottle away and hadn't looked back. Well done. That, it, that's quite some, like, a thing to have around. It's like, I kind of get the thinking about, it's like, you didn't re-elect Trump. So it kind of went, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense in my head as well. It's like, yeah, I would probably as well. Um, so I, I fully get, but yeah, and then like being exposed to COVID, especially when there wasn't any vaccines, that might have been scary as hell. I know how scared I was of it. And because right. I have a, I'm asthmatic, so anything we do on my lungs and so on makes me nervous. Um, so the whole COVID thing was horrendous. Right. So uh, you've now been two and a bit years sober and, and well done. Uh, so how has that affected your like life going forward and like your fetish life or your private life how has it affected everything sure um so on the one hand um i i mean my first four or five months of sobriety i mean it was that winter COVID 2020 2021 so i mean we were all well in the southern united states we weren't all locked <laughs> but i am that, my that's not going to get into that i think we'll just call, talk a whole hour on that if yeah, right. but me and my friends who are socially conscious like we were like you know what listen we'll see each other when the vaccines come out so like i spent the, the, the first four to five months of my sobriety completely alone like completely alone uh the only contact i had was um with my students wearing masks shooting them out the door as soon as we were done um and that was it uh, um so um Basically, all things fetish and kink for the first five, six months of my sobriety I had to be just chatting with other folks online. Like, there, there was no contact. And I think I was so preoccupied with gaining a foothold in my sobriety that I kind of had to take a back seat. Mm. And then once, you know, I, I got my vaccine and my friends had gotten their vaccines and we started, uh, started traveling and meeting up with friends again. What I noticed um, in, towards the end of my first year of sobriety was like, my sex drive just plummeted just entirely. I, I sincerely thought that I had lost an interest in um, all my sexuality and all my kink and fetish. Um, I, I wasn't prepared for that. And I was working with a great therapist who is queer friendly and knows how to work with substance abuse. And we'd talk about that and how I wasn't sure if that was just me getting older or my sobriety, but that was something I was aware of. Um, but part of my... Um, um, my summer travels that summer of 2021 took me to uh, uh, San Francisco and I got to go into the Mr. S leather shop and, and got custom fitted and custom tailored for some of my first pieces of, of leather. And I don't know, it, it just, it, it felt like a reawakening of, oh, I really actually do like this part of my life and I want to engage it further. Um, and as I talked with other men in the community, uh, in the leather community who supported my sobriety, um, uh, as friends or even as a play partner, they, um, you know, they were just willing to go at my pace as I was slowly reintroducing myself into that world. Um, in just the larger sphere of my queerness, uh, not just my um, interest in leather and fetish, but in my queerness, it, uh, my sobriety, um, what I always keep coming back to with my sobriety is that when I drink, I just go along with what other people want. Uh, but in my sobriety, I begin from a position of choice. 
Mm. Um, which is very much how I view my queerness too. Like my queerness is a gentle resistance against societal norms in every way, shape or form. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much exploring all of that. Um, but I'd say my sobriety has made me a much more conscientious player in the community and a, um, just more curious that I'm not only seeking to play to get my rocks off, but sure, why not? Um, but that when I engage friends in the community, um, they're authentic, genuine connections. I, I think when, when you do like sobriety and so on, you, you notice more about yourself and your surroundings and the way you interact with people, especially because you're not in that abbreviate, um, uh, uh, you're not drunk when you're around people. So you, you tend, the connection is like in more important. You really need to be connect with people where if you're drunk, it's a lot more small talk and it's a lot more noise, if you could say. And it right. always keeps a little bit at, um, well, you don't really get to know people in the same way. Right. Where if you're sober, you really do like, you want more interesting conversations because you're not drunk. Right. Absolutely. And you can get to know these men in the community, not just as play partners or objects mm. to be objectified, even if that's your thing. You can know these uh, other men and boys as people who have lives and interests outside of our community. Um, and that's been a real gift to me, too. So when did you start Kink? Um, when did that interest start? Yeah, I'd, I'd say all the way back to the very beginning <laughs> of uh, uh, my my first porn hit. Uh, not that I was a, a 13 year old with access to pornography online, but let's say I was. Um, <laughs> my, uh, I mean, the first porn website that I found was uh, a website called Santa Barbara Paddle Company, and it was some um, California based um, male male spanking video company, and it, it just it captivated me instantly. Um, also, I come from a military family, so all things hierarchy and structure just made complete sense to me. Like, yeah, of course, this is how the world can work. Why not? Um, so I'd say in terms of interest, I became aware of it and interested in it as a teenager. I spent most of my teenage and college years, though, in very conservative Christian circles. So... Um, I would, um, I would say I didn't really start exploring like any kind of viable play or friendships or partnerships with anybody until probably my late twenties, um, or early thirties. Um, so while the interest goes way back, my involvement in the community has only been the more recent years. I, I think, yeah, you, you mentioned you, you live in Tennessee. Where are you originally from? Originally from San Antonio, Texas. And then so, so Tennessee, Texas, kind of, well, I was, I was, I'm, I'm going to sound, I don't want to sound judgmental, but some of those states where it can be a bit more difficult being sure. either a kinkster or gay. Right. Um, did that push you a little bit like, you know, it's a little bit more of a fuck you in, in those states being these things? Um, so the short, simple answer is yes. But what I now know about my hometown of San Antonio there's a massive kink community there. Um, which, how would I? How would I right. Um, like San Antonio and Austin. Austin's only about an hour, hour and 15 drive to the north. There are massive kink, fetish, and pup play communities in both of those cities. Um, and whether or not they were there 20 years ago when I left it, mm -hmm. I don't know. 
right? Because I, like I said, I grew up in a military family. I was in conservative Christian circles. So I was very much protected, to borrow some political language these days, oh, uh, from, the, from those, from those <laughs> species. Um, so I would say while the official politics of my home state, and, and maybe to some degree my hometown, was a bit of a fuck you, the reality, like San Antonio has a huge punk scene, a huge metal scene that's quite different from the rest of Texas. San Antonio is really just kind of a queer town in, in a way that's very different than Austin is. Um, and so it kind of makes me miss it. Uh, and I'd love to go back now as a fully fledged adult um, and experience it for myself. Memphis is very interesting, not just for the kink community, but for the gay community, because for about 25 years, maybe more, uh, Memphis was the home of one of the largest reparative therapy or conversion camp places in, in the country, if not the world. Um, and I knew the executive director and I went there for a casual intake interview when I was in college. So I know people who live here in Memphis, who the reason they moved here from across the country was an effort to become straight or asexual. Um, and in addition to that national presence here, I mean, some of the most powerful wealthy churches in the city who are kingmakers, um, they donated a lot of money and sent a lot of parishioners to this organization that's now defunct. Um, and the executive director of it, um, he resigned, divorced his wife and ran to Texas with his boyfriend. Surprise. Uh, surprise. <laughs> no one see, saw that coming. No one. No. So I remember when uh, uh, in 2010, when I started going to my first pride parades, uh, the 2010 pride parade in Memphis, we like people literally had to keep circling the route over and over again to keep it going. Mm -hmm. uh, only a couple hundred people came out. Um, now, like at last year's Pride, there was a good 40,000, 50,000 people there. Um, but it's only been in the last couple of years here in Memphis that an organized queer community, whether sports leagues or drag communities and drag bars, um, um, leather clubs have now started popping up. Oh, that's great. It's, it's, it's yet again, um, if, if I make assumptions for Texas and Memphis and so on, you, you, we only kind of have what impressions we get from the outside. So sometimes you just think it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's down, it's the South States and they're normally quite problematic when it comes to gay people and the mega churches and religion and so on. So it, this is my impression and I'm happy you're here to educate me. It's not as bad as I might think it is. Uh, no, it's, it's as bad as you think it is. Like the state of Tennessee, the, the House legislature just passed a, a, a ban on, on uh, gender affirming trans youth care. Uh, so it is as bad. And our governor is expected to sign it. It's, um, it, it. There's definitely a lot of videos popping up on my TikTok FYP at the moment. Yes, I am old and I am on TikTok, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but the videos that's coming from these courtrooms is absolutely heartbreaking. Like right. conversion therapy, we are still discussing it here. Right. Uh, which probably surprises a lot of countries that we still have it. Um, right. But Boris Johnson, when he was in power, he kind of went in, oh yeah, we'll, 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 we'll ban it, but not include trans people. I was just like, no, 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 no. If you do conversion therapy, you need to ban it all. You cannot just ban one section or most of the most of them but just leave trans people to fend for themselves right but yet again it's like trans issues are such a hot topic at the moment it's really well everywhere really right 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 so 
in many ways, what you do see on the headlines is reflective of what you're seeing here in the American South. Um, and, you know, Florida and Texas, I think, get the, 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 the spotlight most often, uh, which means that my state, Tennessee, kind of gets to follow that lead, slip under the radar, and people don't really pay attention to us, mm. even though Memphis is one of the most populous cities in the American South. Um, but at the same time, just as... Um, systemic queerphobia, transphobia can be some of the strongest here. Therefore, queer activism and queer resistance can be some of the most robust here. Mm. Um, and you'll see from these courtrooms, like these, you know, I, there was this footage of one person using their time in front of a city council instead of making an argument against these bans. All he did was just inject his um, hormone replacement therapy needle in front of the council. Uh, council. That's all he did as his act of resistance, which I think is beautiful and powerful. So I think people, especially in cities, as much as I love Chicago, it's my favorite city in this country, uh, folks in cities like Chicago, New York, LA can look at the South and say, look at these backward people, aren't I'm so glad I left. I would say the future of queer rights and civil rights in general in this country is being written right here. Mm. Um, we're the blueprint um, and, and y'all are welcome to follow. That's a good way to look at it. You, 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 yeah, because of all these legislations and all what's going on in the States and being in the UK, we looking at America and it seeps over here. It does. People mm -hmm. pick up these ideas. We now have people on the street um, demonstrating abortion as well. Um, it, it will take a long time before it even gets discussed in government, that type yeah. of thing, but it could happen. Right. And everyone's always like, oh, just in the States. It's just like, yeah, yeah but it's for over now. here. I definitely in the last couple of years, um, I have very much white male cisgendered privilege. I'm no doubt about that. And I can also pass a straight in the street. So I, in generally, I'm safe when I walk around. But in the last couple of years, I have started to feel more unsafe as a queer person. Absolutely. Sure. I, I have felt the exact same way. Um, even, you know, on my block of my neighborhood, I can identify a few fellow queer neighbors and friends. Uh, there are times in my rather left-leaning neighborhood that I feel like, ah, maybe I shouldn't take a walk around the neighborhood tonight. I, I, you know, Memphis has been in the headlines lately for all the wrong reasons. Um, so um, I have felt that same fear as well. Yeah, my friend uh, Rough Tank Top just went, it's the same money coming over to the UK. Yes, because a lot of the people, a lot of the ideas seeping in are from uh, organizations from the States trying to seep into them to UK now. Like the anti-abortion stuff comes from the States and it is organizations sending people over here to promote that rhetoric. Right. Um, but you, you mentioned that you do CrossFit. How long mm -hmm. have you been doing that? And I, yeah, so I, 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 looked, I, I looked a little bit. I looked a little bit on your Instagram. You're very passionate, and there's a lot of it. Yes, that, <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, in fact, one of my friends from the gym has joined this live. So, Kyle, hello, welcome. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I started doing it. Um, I was bamboozled into my first CrossFit workout when visiting a friend in Chicago, summer of 2021. He didn't tell me what he was taking to me to. He just took me to it. I was like, God damn it, Andrew. That's how, that's how, it, that's how you get inducted into a cult. Yeah, except, well. <laughs> um, yes. So then I, um, 
you know, I was ready, you know, as COVID was going to be what COVID was going to be and was weighing my risks of what felt safe and appropriate for me. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of 2021, I was like, I'm ready to join a gym again. You know, I've been working out by my own and that's fine, but I'm ready to be back in community. So I, I joined my gym, uh, my CrossFit gym in December of 2021. And I've been really grateful that I've done it. Yeah, it's, it's I think at least like when you're talking about sobriety and so on, and it sounds like such a um, stereotype, but exercise is important. And I must admit, I haven't actually started yet. I had all this great plan of starting in the start of the year, but now we're in almost in March and I still <laughs> haven't, but it will get there and, and the gym won't go anywhere and, and I can do stuff like that. But how has it uh, benefited like doing these, ex- doing CrossFit and like doing your sobriety at the same time yeah so one i'm really grateful that um the particular class that i go to um a good third of us who attend every morning are queer Mm. so it's just been a great way to meet other uh folks in the family um and i've really enjoyed that uh and building friendships through sport and, and and uh competition um i would say that my I don't know. Movement is just really important to me. Part of what my gym offers is an Olympic lifting class called Barbell Club. Um, So that's not CrossFit. It's your Olympic list, like clean and jerk and snatch. And I don't know what Kingster came up with these things, but it had to have been a Kingster who came up with those names. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, And I, I think especially like the coach who runs that class is your typical he projects as your typical meathead jock, but he's actually a softie at heart. And he would cringe if I, if he knew that I just said that on the record. Um, but it's true. And I, what I really appreciate about it is like, he knows that I'm gay and he still coaches me as um, thoroughly and hard ass like as he does anybody else. And what I really appreciate about CrossFit and particularly Olympic lifting is it's okay for me as a queer man to move my body aggressively. It's okay for me as a queer man to move my body with purpose. Uh, and I think just as we were talking about, the, the world is slowly becoming a place where there are messages that say queer bodies can't move aggressively and can't move with purpose. So I think that's a lot of what fitness has given me uh, and my queer identity is like, no, it's I belong here. I belong in the gym. Um, I deserve and have every right to move my body uh, with purpose and agility and virtuosity and strength. Um, and as for my sobriety, um, yeah, I, (laughs) I, I think I would maybe lose my mind if I I didn't work out. I'm also realizing like, you know, rest is good too. I'm going to have a minor surgical operation in a week. Um, it won't be major, but you know, I'll have to not go to the gym for a week and I think I'll survive. In fact, I think it'll be good for me to remind myself. Yeah. Movement doesn't have to be your only solution to society I, I think i think with a lot of people with addictions and so on not that i'm saying that going to crossfit is an addiction but you you do there's a tendency to kind of like the addiction can kind of move from thing to thing and sometimes oh, you yeah. kind of have to just pull back go okay i'll have a little break and see how i feel about it and then then you can come back to it so having quiet moments is very important i definitely i mind jumps from all sorts of weird shit i get really really attached to certain things and then i do that for a period and then i'll right. stop it and or i get bored right so it, it is definitely so having quiet moments is absolutely very very good to have and on that thought of you know um addictive personalities are gonna you know 
become addicted to things. I don't know about you, but after I went sober, my like sugar and sweets intake just went through the roof because, well, alcohol is nothing if not sugar. So I was going to find it some way. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm quite sure my dentist is, well, I was about to say they're not happy with me, but I think they are because I keep them in work. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I hate going to the dentist because every time I go, they just go, do you floss? And I mean, floss. that's what this surgery operation is, is for my gum line. It has nothing to do with a CrossFit injury at all. It's, it's uh, a diseased gum. <laughs> there you go. They, yeah, well, I keep getting told I have pockets and I need to floss and my teeth are going to fall out. And I'm just like, I'm doing as much as I can. But my problem is I hate putting things between my teeth. Really, really despise it. And because my gum line is really, really tender, I, I don't like going near it. So, but yeah. Um, so you are a teacher, mm -hmm. but you were, were a musician before you became a teacher. Um, tell me a little bit about that because I've noticed you playing on the ivories on your Instagram. Yeah. So, um, I run my own private music teaching studio. Um, it's actually here out of, this, out of my house. Uh, and I've been doing that for 12 years. But for much of those, that time, I was actually a, uh, a music director for any number of churches. Uh, the first church that I worked for after grad school was not queer affirming. I survived that for as long as I could, but couldn't survive that much past three years. And then I worked for a wonderful church uh, for six years, uh, up until last summer, when I made the decision to step out on my own with the studio. And that was a church that, um, uh, very uh, queer affirming, um, politically progressive, um, in many ways did a lot of things right, um, which uh, in terms of, you know, just being allies and being, um, you know, uh, seeking justice, not just for queer rights and liberation, but black rights and lives and liberation, uh, immigrant liberation and, and justice. So being able to work in, in that community as a, um, like my, when we marched in pride last year, I showed up in my leathers and I unabashedly so, and did that as an official member of the church um, uh, and an official employee of the church, which is like that's, its own beautiful act that, of subversion. That, that, that's absolutely amazing. Um, I'm, I'm not very religious. I'm, I would categorize, I'm not an atheist, but I'm an agnostic. But I do find, uh, especially when I get into sobriety and uh, when I do, did the rooms, I all of a sudden it's like, Jesus Christ, I do actually have a problem with religion. So, <laughs> uh, um, so that's really, I, progressive churches where there is room for everyone and, and, and so on, I, I have a lot of time. The, the thing is, when you when you look into the Bible, a lot of it is horrible, absolutely. Oh yeah. But the the general sense sentiment of the Bible is love thy neighbor and just love everyone and be the best person you can be, and that is the ground foundation. So it's nice to hear that there's some churches that actually do practice that, right? Right. <laughs> uh, or at least we try to, to the best of our ability. Um, and you know, I I when I left that uh, job. Um, it was the right decision for me. And, and part of my commitment to myself was that I wasn't going to step foot in a church for six months. Uh, I had been a professional Christian for uh, a long, long, long time. And mm. uh, church work is uh, exhausting for mm. sometimes all the right reasons, sometimes not the right reasons. Um, 
so other than a Christmas Eve service with my family, I haven't been back to a Sunday service. Um, I don't know if I miss it. <laughs> I, I think I like having my Sunday mornings at this time. Mm -hmm. um, but as it is Lent, um, instead of giving up something for Lent, I, um, I'm taking on a practice of, it's, it's so uh, beautiful. I'm, I'm taking on a practice of reading poetry throughout Lent. Throughout Lent. I don't do poetry. Uh, that's not my literature genre, but that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, so I, I enjoy uh, my own form of a rich spiritual life, but is it Christian? I don't know. I like some of the language of it, um, but I'm sure some people would say it's not Christian, and to them I'd say, okay, cool, good story. That, that, that's that's your thing, and that this is my thing, yeah. So what, what type of poetry are you reading? Yeah, so it's actually, um, it's an anthology of poems uh, collected by uh, a gentleman named Padraig Otuma, uh, who is an Irish poet. He's a queer poet and theologian. Um, and so what he does is he's collected 50 poems, uh, mostly from living poets uh, from all over the world, and he'll present the poetry, um, and then he'll break down, give his own interpretation of it. Um, so like the poem I read a couple of days ago is kind of a, um, a, a meditation upon Wonder Woman standing on the Mississippi River. And I was like, well, this is perfect. The Mississippi River is five miles that way. <laughs> I bike over it all the time. Um, so I haven't read today's selection yet. Uh, I'll let you know what, what it is when we get there. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you mentioned a little bit when we talked about titles, you mentioned you were a boy. Correct. Yeah. Boy. Sorry. I, I'm horrible with names. Can you mention your boy name again? Yeah. Boy, Jimmy. Boy, Jimmy. How did Jimmy come about? So that was the name I grew up with. Um, <laughs> so it just felt like a nice way, especially since I was the bullied kid for being gay. Even if I didn't know I was gay, if I, um, I knew what, homophobic bullying was in my way that title is a way to reclaim um that part of my life um and um i don't know it's just kind of a no more junior way shall we say of, of my adult name um so that's all that's that's how it came about and is it's it's is that how you present yourself in the kink community or is there a different size to you than just boy jimmy uh, no, that is how I present to others in the community. Fantastic, fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so, do you use? Um, I know here in in the at least at Easter Berlin, they now have uh, classic kink where they do like piano playing and so on. Have you have you mixed it to your love of music and kink? Because though so I have done that here at the house a few times. Uh, putting on my leathers and practicing and if you dig deep enough um, I'll try and find it and send it to you I actually did like I, I played the Brahms intermezzo in a major in my leathers so and that's posted here on my Instagram so I'll see if I can't find it or you can dig in it um, uh, I did it for coming out day 2021 and I decided to publicly come out as a leather man so that's actually how I did it, was through music and through leather, and just to kind of say, hey, these two things have been with me my entire life. Um, but as for a formal concert presentation, I, I know about them. I think they're incredible. Um, I have a friend that I'm accompanying in a recital this May. He's a fabulous baritone singer. He's also gay. And I've told him, like, here's the deal. You're the singer. I should do the recital as your accompanist in leather. You should do it in drag, and it would be incredible. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And when that happens, we want to see videos of that. Okay, absolutely. Because it's, it's 
I've, I think I've, I've said it to many people, people in drag or people in leopard, it is drag. Mm -hmm. Oh, it totally is. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just I mean, masculine and masculine boy drag, really. It truly is with yeah. the pageants and the titles and the sashes and the everything. Uh, and instead of a drag mother, you have a sir, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, just to some leather men that go like, no, it's not. It's like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, As it someone is. who's done the titles, as you can see, <laughs> I know the whole bit and I've done IML as well. Any any ideas you might want to do a title yourself at some point? I don't know. I've, I've got so many other irons in the fire right now. Uh, I think before I entertain the idea of sashes and titles, I'd like to just, I'd like to get to IML. I'd like to get to Mid-Atlantic Leather and, and all those things. Um, first, um, uh, this spring is so busy with some big family events. I, I don't know if I'll be able to make it this year. Um, and I, I took on too much work this year. So I'm learning my lessons with that and, and hoping to curate for the next school year a, a more feasible event-friendly friend, schedule. Um, but I will say this, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, uh, I had coffee yesterday with a member of the King community who is the Mid-South Leather title holder right now, and he's competing for IML. And he's turning 61 uh, in March. And um, just knowing that, you know, he's going to be going up against a, a bunch of other guys who are probably closer to my age and younger. And here he is at 61 competing. I'm like, get it. Like, this is amazing. It's, you don't have to, there's no such thing as being too old to, to compete for a title or a sash. So if, I think if, for me, I'm at such the beginning of my more public expression of, of leather that if titles are in my future, they'll come. Right now, I'd rather just meet folks oh absolutely and that that is a very good way of looking at it i definitely look at my title year and go yeah i was a bit young um, <laughs> I, was, I was only 24 and i was two years into my kink journey and it was my first state first time in the states as well so i was very much blue-eyed <laughs> very trusting of everyone very green but everyone was so kind when i was there so it, it's iml is absolutely one of my favorite events there is because it's such a friendly atmosphere and so on so you mentioned you kind of like officially came out as a lover man how did people take that do do your family know uh i don't uh so my family they don't know i would well unless they're on instagram uh my my nephew who shares my name he might have figured it out by this point uh my family and i were not close we're not on bad terms uh there's no bad blood it's just i'm so much younger than both of my sisters we didn't grow yeah. up together um so yeah just with that distance um both physical and age they don't know as for when i publicly came out i think the the people who had eyes to see and ears to hear not that i was trying to obscure it um uh, they've been supportive. They may not 100% understand what this is for me, mm. um, but they at least support it. Um, and the people who don't support it, I, I think they saw that I was supported. And I think they saw that I'm a pretty burly bear with tattoos and a beard. And they're like, I just don't want to mess with it. I don't understand it. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'd say there was certainly no blowback. Um, I, there was a bit of fear of like, oh my gosh, like what if I lose students? Because I'm a 
private one-on-one music. I, I, I was going to ask that how with teaching, how, how has that been? Yeah. Um, well, uh, not a problem. I actually, um, I, uh, have a adult student who is a lesbian and she and her wife have an adopted daughter and I've ran into that family at pride in my leather regalia. And they're like, Oh, look, there's Mr. Jim. I was like, yes, it is. Hello. <laughs> and obviously they get it. They understand. Um, so I would say there's been no blowback. I'm, I'm waiting for the day when some of my more conservative suburban clients, um, maybe you start putting two and two and two together. Mm. Um, but I guess also at the risk of tooting my own horn a little too loud, I know that I'm good at my job. So <laughs> I know that only has its limits so much, but hasn't affected my work yet. It's, 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 it's tricky one to navigate as a teacher. I've definitely had friends here in the UK where all of a sudden a picture of them in gear and so on. And then the, it just spit rolls, uh, it just rolls out of control. But it's, it's, it sounds like you are in a good place and it's, it's, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. And I think that's why this profile, it has a smattering of leather in it, but it's, you know, I know that my, the day that I'll never forget this. I have a, a fourth grade student and he goes, so my dad and I watch your Instagram. I was like, Oh God. And he goes, what did you, what did you think? What, what did you see? And he goes, so you like two things a whole lot, playing piano and working out. I was like, oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> and you're a member of the Dead Cow Appreciation Society. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> well, do you know what? This is this is the thing. When we talk about kids and their interactions with us and so on, and oh, think of the kids kind of thing. Most of those kids are going to go, oh, you dress weird. And then they'll move on. And then they move on. There's never a bloody issue. It's the parents that makes the issue normally. Yes. Uh, so it's it's that's quite nice to hear. It's like, well, you like working out and and yeah, and you like playing piano. So yeah, that that is the main thing on your profile. I, I kind of was scrolling through. It's like, where's the lever? Um, <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's a couple like of pictures in there. I see a cow. I think, sorry. I think, I think if you need to see the lever pictures of you, you need to go to the tag tab. That's yeah. where your pictures are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, well, we're coming kind of coming to the end of our time and it's it's been absolutely lovely to have you on. If there's anything you could, I'm, I'm going to do like a little RuPaul moment. Like sure. if there's any advice, you could, not necessarily to your younger self, but if, if there's any advice you could give to someone that you would have appreciated maybe a couple of years ago, what would you give? Um, is this through the lens of sobriety, through the lens of kink? Sobriety, of kink, work, whatever, whatever comes yeah. to mind, what works for you? Um... It's interesting. I think the advice I'm going to give applies to both sobriety and stepping in, stepping into sobriety and stepping, stepping into the leather community, um, which is you don't have to do it all at once, right? Like you don't have to buy all the gear today to be a valid leather man. You know, if all you got right now is a, is a, is a bulldog harness that you picked up at your local pride store, you're still a valid member of the leather community. Um, just, you know, take it one day at a time. The same thing with sobriety. I actually remember the day I told my therapist that I'm going to go for a year of sobriety. And she was like, 
I don't know if that's a good idea. And I thought she was trying to talk me out of it. What she was really doing was saying, you can only do sobriety one day at a time. Mm -hmm. So I think what I would, um, if I were to go back in time to pre-COVID Jim, um, who was thinking about all these things, I would say to him, and I would say to anybody else who's sober curious or leather curious, um, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Just take it one day at a time, uh, one piece of gear at a time. Um, the, the leather play is fun, but I really enjoy talking to folks like you and talking to other friends in the leather community about music, RuPaul's Drag Race, athletics, um, uh, what, whatever else is, because we're more than leather folk, right? Like we got interests, you know, and for my friends who are fellow sober uh, journeyers, I'd say, you know, it's whether you have um, 10 days of sobriety or 10 years of sobriety, like the only day of sobriety that matters is this one. Mm -hmm. So that's my piece of advice is it doesn't have to all be done at once. Just go it's, slow and take it one day at a time. It, 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 yeah, it's definitely one of the things like one day at a time is such an important way of thinking about it. It's, it's, I, I I think what your therapist was great because if you'd kind of said it needs to be a year, then you're kind of just setting yourself up for disappointment if you do fail. And there is absolutely no, there's no problem in failing. It's more what you do afterwards. That's the main thing. Um, right. Sobriety is not easy. It is not easy. It's, and it can kick you in the balls most days. And, and not the fun way. <laughs> no, not the fun way. No, not the fun way. Not in the sexy way. I yeah. know what everyone's watching is thinking now. <laughs> They're thinking the sexy way. No, not the no. sexy way. It's not fun. <laughs> so if anyone's watched this or listens to this afterwards and they connect to something you've talked about, the cult of CrossFit, <laughs> um, uh, your music or your sobriety or your kink life, um, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, honestly, this is the best place. Uh, my Instagram handle, jcorn104. Um, and for those who are in the community and want to know, you know, my recon handle or whatever, they're free to message me a DM. Uh, I see my friend Corey, who I'll be seeing tonight at Friday Night Lights is on. Hi, hello, welcome. Um, yeah, so I'd say just, um, Find me here on Instagram, jcorn104, and um, shoot me a message. Um, that's where I've built most of my, my friendships in the community. Fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been such oh. a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Chat soon. All right. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye. And that was Ori Jimmy from Tennessee. It was absolutely lovely to have Mom and talk to him. Um, yeah, it, it was so great, so great, so so much to talk about. So I'm gonna have a little break. Um, I'm coming back in two weeks because next week I am going to Wales with some friends. So I'll be back in two weeks time with another guest. So have a great weekend, stay kinky, stay sober and have fun. Bye. Thank you.